good morning. It is good to see everybody here today. All right, let me, uh, you know, this morning is a, uh, a challenging but a very important topic. And it's, it's not something that, um, that I shy away from talking about. It's, it's something that I am, you know, passionate about and really care about it. And the thing about um, the whole issue of the sanctity of life and abortion is that it's challenging and it's not so much challenging to sit in church and to deliver a message, on a pro-life message, that, that babies' lives matter, that, that babies are, are humans before they're born. Like that, that is not and should not be a controversial topic in the church. But it's challenging because this is an issue that is personal. It, it, it touches some people in devastating ways. There are people who, before they came to Christ, ended a pregnancy. And there are people who have grown up in the church and in Christian homes who when they face a moment that seems like um, overwhelming, something that they can't face, when they, when they think about their future, the only way out seems to be a devastating sin. And there are many people who choose that. And so often in the church, we can think that this is something that impacts other people. There are people who sit in church and, and wholeheartedly they agree because they've felt the devastation. But when you even mention the topic, it's like ripping their heart out. And so this is, it's challenging. It's something that we want to be sensitive about. We want to know that, that this touches people in real and devastating ways. But it's not something that we can shy away from. It's something that we need to look at head on. Uh, there are some people devastated by it. There are other people that show up and they sit in church week after week and it's actually not even on their mind. And it's something that for us as believers, it's something we should think about every day, something we should pray about every day, something that we should always be thinking through, God, how would you have me be involved? Uh, when I think about this whole issue, um, that is a, it's a, it's a well um, it's a well-founded assumption that as Christians, we support life. And it is amazing what the statistics show. Uh, the pregnancy centers in our area, about six out of ten people that they minister to uh, go to church. Um, I read one survey that said seven out of ten people who have an abortion um, are people who go to church regularly, like once or twice a month. And so this is an issue that touches us personally. People are hurting and they need healing. You know, for some, abortion is a political topic. But for us, um, this is something that can be personal and devastating. As, as for the church, and I think as parents, it is a reminder that we need to be diligent in our discipleship. You know, abortion is not in and of itself um, a, you know, the main problem. It is a symptom of a problem. It is a symptom of people who don't have a relationship with God, who are not committed to honoring and obeying God, and who, when they face a crisis, don't say, I can't take life into my own hands. I need to trust that God is loving and powerful and that what, whatever situation I'm facing, obeying God is always what is best. And so for us as a church, um, we got to ask ourselves, um, as we do ministry, and it's not just this one issue, it's every issue. Are we religious? Do we teach religion? Do we teach morality? 
Or are we helping people genuinely know and worship God? Are we discipling and training people to be able to face the things that they will face in life? Abortion is not the only way life is devastated. Um, And so are we preparing people to address everything? Is the church a loving, redemptive place? Or when somebody who walks into this church building, when somebody sits in a group with other Christians, that they sense God's love, God's compassion, God's forgiveness. You know, that, that difficulty and pain and sin is met with biblical love and direction. See, it's this, this, it's this challenging thing in the church because we know sin's destructive, And we know that people need to be rescued and encouraged and helped. And so we want to love people. But often churches and places can can feel like to love somebody is to just accept everything, to welcome everybody, to never say anything is wrong because that might hurt people. When you think about a person who who has been involved in abortion personally, Um, To look at that and to think about what that is in reality is devastating. And so to to highlight that and help somebody know, no, this is what happened. This is how sinful and terrible it is. That could be personally crushing. And so a lot of churches just ignore that. They ignore anything that would make anybody uncomfortable, and they just want to throw their arms around everything instead of realizing, no, we meet sin with biblical love but also direction. We meet sin the way Jesus met sin. Um, I think about the, the, uh, the woman caught in adultery. You know, it's interesting in Jesus' ministry, sinners, people who were hurting, ran to Jesus. But Jesus never affirmed sin. Uh, his words to that woman caught in adultery was, go and sin no more. And so that needs to be us as a church. You know, we need to discuss this. And we need to, it needs to be a serious issue for us. But we need to equally reflect the love and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Um, This is something that as a youth pastor, uh, I was a youth pastor for many years, and something that I've seen firsthand. Uh, One of the things that uh, stood out to me, I remember um, an elder in our church whose daughter had an abortion. And, And just seeing that whole situation develop, seeing what happened and why that happened, and it's not public. Nobody actually even knows who that person is. Nobody knows that, that family um, in my last church, but I know what happened. Um, I remember um, walking into a grocery store. Michelle and I walked into a grocery store. We just got into a conversation with this unbelieving girl who was pregnant. And we just were talking to her. We noticed she's pregnant. We're talking to her and, and just kind of finding some details in her life. And I'm not sure why she opened up, but she just said, Man, I am, I am in a difficult situation right now because I'm pregnant and, and I'm struggling with whether or not I should abort this child. And she said, I'm, I'm facing the situation because my mom told me that if I don't abort this baby, she's kicking me out of the house and I don't know where I'm going to live. And one of the things that she told me was she said, you know, my mom had an abortion. And one of the things like in our conversation, she was just saying, my mom told me that if you have an abortion, it's going to ruin your life. You are going to deal with grief. You're going to have internal pain that you're never going to be able to get over. 
And she said, and if you have this baby, it's going to ruin your life. You're young. You haven't gone to school. You don't have, how are you going to take care of this kid? I can't take care of this kid for you. And so she just says to her daughter, uh, as one who's lived it, you are in a no-win situation. But if you don't have an abortion, I'm kicking you out. And uh, it, was, it was a blessing for Michelle and I to be able to have a conversation with her, to refer her to a pregnancy center where there is support, there is encouragement. If she's getting kicked out of her house, you can go there and you can, they'll help you find somewhere to live. Uh, they'll connect you with people that will bring you into their home. They will meet every need that you have in your life. They'll teach you how to be a parent. They'll come alongside you and support you and encourage you. Um, another story that just really impacted me, and this is a reflection, I think, of what's so significant in the church, is I went to a, a pregnancy center um, lunch, and they had a speaker there, and this man was a speaker. He was a youth pastor, and uh, he was talking about how abortion touched his family. And uh, he talked about the time that his teenage daughter, raised in the church, um, came home and she sat down. She just said, Dad, this is an incredibly difficult thing for me to talk to you about. But, Dad, I'm pregnant. And she said, um, you know, it's, it's a tragedy. I know I've stepped out of what God intends for me. Um, but I'm pregnant, and I don't want to follow up one mistake with another mistake. So I'm going to have this baby. And he talked about how um, over the course of time, he actually encouraged his daughter to have an abortion. And they followed through, and his daughter has an abortion because he encouraged her to do it. And he talked about all the pressure that he felt about, I'm a pastor, and what happens if people find this out? How does that impact my job? How does that impact our family? And, you know, it, it, that situation, it, it reminded me of the book of Jonah. You know, nobody reads the book of Jonah and comes out the other th side thinking, man, Jonah is an amazing guy. <laughs> and, you know, we go to, uh, we go to um, lunches and we hear people's testimonies. And often you hear a story like you hear people share their story, and at the end of it you just think, man, how powerful, what a wonderful thing. I'm just telling you right now that I could just see many of your reactions as I told that story. And uh, that was a reaction of the room. You did what? And the thing is, is that I think in the church that communicates a significant issue. A lot of times we think that this is someone else somewhere else. And we don't realize, no, th this is us. And when you take a step back and you think through, it, it's easy. Like this, this guy, he was a youth pastor. He had been teaching his kids um, all the things that were true. But when it faces you, when it faces you personally, all of a sudden things look different. When, when it's your daughter who may have a, have a baby out of wedlock, when you're the one who's pregnant, all these kind of platitudes and all these things that we just say, like if we were to take a survey right now and just say, um, is abortion right or wrong? Um, I, I doubt that, that we get more than one or two uh, people who check the box that abortion is acceptable in some circumstances. Everybody checks no. But when it's you, when it's your family, then what? 
And so this is a, a significant issue. It's an important issue. And it's something that I want to jump into. And so I'm, I'm going to spend some time talking about some significant things and, and actually things that I would think we all would agree to. And uh, so here's, here's the first thing. Abortion is a satanic evil of significant magnitude. Um, look at John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and they, that they may have it abundantly. You know, Satan's plan is to destroy your life. When you think about the Garden of Eden and uh, God telling Adam and Eve, you can't eat this, the fruit from this tree. And, uh, and Adam and Eve, it's like they had only one rule. And what does Satan do? He shows up and he says, God's holding out on you. God is trying to stop you from having fun. God doesn't want you to be like him. And Satan convinces them that doing what God says is wrong is in their best interests. We've all read the story. We've all thought about things in life. Um, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, did life get better? I mean, no, right? We're sick. Uh, there's all kinds of sin. There's natural disasters. Think about all the things that happen in life and that we suffer with because Adam and Eve said, I'm going to trust Satan and I'm going to trust his lies and I'm going to trust my own perspective more than I trust the God who made the world, who knows everything, and who loves me. And so Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he steals, kills, and destroys when he gets people to sin. And then he steals, kills, and destroys in how people respond to their sin. And uh, that is not what God wants. So let's talk a little bit about how significant this problem is. And it's significant because abortion is taking the life of a human being. And that is significant. The sin of abortion is massive because of how extensive it is. And so I want to just look at a few statistics just so you'll realize what a huge evil this is. Not only in severity, but in magnitude. So let's look at a few statistics. Um, abortion uh, is... Uh, a significant e evil. You know, we talk about Hitler, we talk about Stalin uh, and Mao. Uh, when you think about just the people in history that you say, that was an evil man who killed a massive number of people. You know, there's, we always think of Hitler. But, you know, Mao killed 45 million people. And when you hear the stories of, of what happened, he made one father bury his own son in bury him alive. And then that father died um, weeks later of grief. I mean, just the, the evil, the horrific tragedy. Stalin killed 20 million people. Hitler, uh, initially, we all, we've all heard that Hitler killed 6 million Jews. But there are um, estimates that he killed far more, uh, 17 million. In the United States, since 1973, abortion has killed 62 million people. It, the abortion issue is worse than any other of these incredible tragedies. The number of people that have been killed. Now, when you think about that, uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, that is more, 62 million people, that is more than the 23rd largest co uh, country in the world. It's more than the population of Italy. Think about that. Every person in Italy being killed. It's more than the population of Canada significantly. So our, our neighbor, Canada, 
if you killed everybody in that country, it doesn't touch um, what we've done in, a, in abortion here in the United States. Um, it is almost the population of the entire state of California and Texas, the two biggest states in our country. It's almost the population of those entire um, states. It's significant. You know, one of the things that happens, if we can go to the next slide, is when you think about abortion, um, you can have this impression that, uh, that you know, pro-life people and that, that those of us who support life are in the minority. How, how many of you feel like that? that, that that's like the pressure. And you'll have people that, that are pro-life that are afraid to speak up. But think about these statistics. In 2019, 49% of the United States was pro-life and 46% were pro-choice. And when you look at the statistics over the years, it's almost 50-50 and it switches back and forth between um, what, what there's more support for. In 2021, uh, pro-life was 47 and pro-choice was 49. Like that's the opposite. And yet so many people feel silenced because of public opinion. And, and what, I wanted to, what I would like to just say to all of us as a church, the fact that people are silent and that are, they're not involved and that they're not committed and that they're not reaching out, if, if it was 1% and 99%, it shouldn't matter. But I just want to encourage you that in the United States, um, the laws that are passed have a significant benefit. And, and every year, the number of abortions goes down. Um, in, in 1990, I think, was the highest um, uh, amount of abortions in the United States and every year. So pro-life is winning the battle. But it's something that we need to stay on. We need to support people. We need to, this needs to be a significant thing. Let's talk for a second about California the state that we live in. In California, in 2007, uh, up to 2017, uh, there was 102, th there's been 100, there was 132,000 abortions. Um, almost the total uh, population of RSM and Mission Viejo. Think about that. Uh, that's, that's how we can view California. In California, there is no waiting period for abortion. Uh, there are some states that mandate, mandate that parents be notified California is not one of those. 40% uh, of teenagers who have abortions say neither parent knew. Um, a kid can get pregnant, go to school, and get an abortion, and their parents don't know. Um, there are a lot of abortion facilities, 512, 180 pregnancy centers. Uh, that's something that we need to be aware of. We need to think about the fact that pregnancy centers need support. They need encouragement. I remember... Uh, driving down the road and just hearing on the news that they had passed a law, this was some years ago, that pregnancy centers had to, had to uh, advertise for abortion clinics. Like just those laws. Could you imagine saying when, when, you, when somebody walks into your office, um, instead of the first thing they see being uh, pro-life or encouragement or any of those kinds of things, you have to, the first thing you have to do is post all over your, your, uh, your uh, waiting room the phone number of places that they can go to get an abortion. You have to actually advertise for something that you are completely fundamentally op opposed to. I actually passed that law. And uh, I just uh, happened to be driving past the pregnancy center, and I just walked, I pulled over, went into the pregnancy center, just knocked on the door, and just I just wanted to see if the, the lady who ran that was there. And I just went in, just went into her office, and she was just, 
crushed and, and just thinking about regardless of what the consequences are, there's no chance I am going to advertise for an abortion clinic. And just, just seeing that emotional difficulty, I was, we just sat and talked and, and I prayed for her. And she told me later just how encouraging that was that she just felt this devastating blow in the fact that somebody knew and somebody showed up and somebody encouraged her. Like we need to remember who's on the front lines and encourage and support. Um, <coughs> who's getting an abortion? Let's, let's consider this. 81% um, are unmarried. So, it's, so most of the people getting abortions are people who are having a baby outside of wedlock. Uh, 20 to 24 is the highest rate those years. 40% of minors say their parents didn't know. And uh, 39 states do require parental notification. California is not one of those. And many report religious affiliation. And the, the, com the, the company that does that statistic is actually a pro-choice um, company. So that's a statistic that comes from the abortion side of things. 24% of people say they're Catholic, 17 mainline Protestant, 13% evangelical Protestants. By the way, that 13%, that's us. So let's uh, consider the second thing. You know, Jesus came to forgive and to restore people who've been damaged by sin. You know, this, the whole thing of sin and destruction, th that's not something new. Uh, that's not a surprise to God. When Adam and Eve fell and caused, brought the fall of the human race, Jesus came to restore and to forgive and that's what we're about. That's what we're committed to. When I think about the, the story of, of David, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 51, I want to read this. And while you're turning to Psalm 51, I want to tell you the story. Uh, David is a person like many who commit the sin of abortion. Uh, he knew what was right. He was a person who wrote scripture. Uh, he was a, a faithful man. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And, and there are people who grow up in church and who love the Lord and, and who are believers. You know, I think there's many people who grow up in church who don't know the Lord. The church is full of people who aren't really Christians. And, uh, and so there's many people that grow up in church. They're not believers. They don't know the Lord. And, and, of course, they live a sinful life, and they always do what seems best to them. But there are people that grow up in the church, and they do know the Lord, and they are Christians. And like David, they wander. They wander away from the things that God says. And that's what happened with King David when he should have been out to war, when he should have been somebody who was diligent and faithful. In God's blessing in his life, he got cold-hearted. And he started to disregard the things that God said. And instead of being out at war, he was at home. And instead of being faithful and honoring the Lord in his life, he was looking over the wall at some lady that he wasn't married to. And David has an affair. See, that same type of sin... Uh, we'll look at this, but God's been very clear that sex is only for marriage. And there are many people who grow cold, and they sin, and they live in a culture that just supports sin. See, for, for David, he was a king. And kings in his period of time could do whatever they want. His son Solomon, in fact, had 700 um, concubines and 300 wives, like 1,000 women. He just walked around going, I, I like her, I'll marry her, and give me her, I'll marry her. And this was not uncommon for kings. But it was something that God said was a terrible sin. And in our country, and in our area, there are people who, they, they live as Christians, but because of culture, they just disregard what God says about purity, just like David did. 
And then David finds himself in this terrible situation, a no-win situation, because he sleeps with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. And by the way, um, this was one of his mighty men. This was one of his personal guards. How do you own up to that? You're a king in Israel. By the way, the consequences for adultery in David's time was execution. So now David, David has committed a sin that requires that he be executed. He's a king that is supposed to lead people toward God, and instead he's had an affair, and he's violated a relationship with, with his own bodyguard, somebody who would be willing to give his life for him. Like when you just think about what a significant no-win situation that was, there was no way out for him. And many people facing abortion feel like there is no way out. Now, what am I going to do about my education? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to take care of this kid? How am I going to face my parents? How am I going to face my friends at school? How do I show up to church? I'm 16 years old, and what happens when I show up to church and walk through the door and I'm pregnant? Like, just the, the overwhelming um, difficulty of that situation. And David... A man after God's own heart. When, when you read about his life, he was so faithful for so long. And you think to yourself, how does a person who's that faithful end up here? But if David could feel overwhelmed, there are other people. There are, there are other believers who could also feel overwhelmed. And so David does what many women facing that situation. I got to solve this problem. I need to deal with it. I'm going to go just erase this from happening. Nobody's going to know. I'm going to go in, and I'm going to kill my child. And nobody's going to know. My problem will be solved. And even if I feel guilty or even if I struggle, it's not as bad as what I'm facing right now. And that's what David thought. And David goes, and, and he kills the wife of, of uh, Bathsheba. He kills Uriah. And um, feels like he solved this problem, but one of the things we realize is that his problem wasn't solved. Um, David was overcome with guilt and devastation. David talks about not being able to sleep. He had incredible guilt. God's hand was so heavy on him, and he just he couldn't he couldn't deal with it. And finally, God sends Nathan to confront him and to address him. And Nathan shows up and he tells a story. And this is, this is like the level of hypocrisy that we can have in the church, right? We can be people that are personally involved in devastating sin. And we can be prideful and judgmental toward other people. And that's what David did. Nathan shows up, tells him a story about some guy who stole a sheep. And David talks about how this guy who stole the sheep should be executed. How he deserves to die. And then God looks at, through Nathan, tells David, David, that's you. And here's the crazy thing is that, and this is what is so different with believers and unbelievers. You look at Saul and you look at David. When David gets confronted, man, it's this freedom. Finally, he's not trying to hide it. Finally, he can own up to it. It's, it's out in the open. And the Bible tells us that he confesses and that he repents and that God forgives. One of the things that's amazing in that story is um, it, when you read it in 2 Samuel, is that God says, David, you're not going to die. God actually removes some of the consequences of his sin. And, you know, that's one of the great things about what God does for us. 
We don't always get what we deserve. Sometimes we do things that should bring incredible devastation, and through it, God brings good, right? That's what uh, Romans 8, 28, and 29 says. Uh, doesn't, doesn't that say that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose? See, that's Christianity. That's God. That's the message of salvation is that God is a loving God that restores sinful people. Let's read Psalm 51, verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And he just couldn't get it out of his mind. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You know, David recognizes, obviously, that he sinned against Bathsheba, that he sinned against Uriah, that he sinned against the entire nation of Israel. But he realizes that first and foremost, he has sinned against God. See, that's what is so bad about religion, is religion is man-focused. When you think about that, you're pregnant and you're afraid to show up to church. You're pregnant and you're afraid to tell your parents. You're, you're pregnant and you're afraid of your future. Like, that is so man-focused. And, and, and I think that's where we go wrong in the church is often we motivate people to do things through religion. We're just trying to pressure people to be good. And we're not teaching people to live out of a heart that loves God. Um, can you cover up a sin from God? I mean, if he knows... If you care more about what God thinks than what other people think, would you have an abortion? Well, the answer is no. God already knows, so there's no one to hide it from. To, to take one sin and then commit an even bigger sin, why would you do that? And so abortion is just an expression of how many people live their Christian lives. They're driven by what people think. They're driven by a desire to please people around them. They're not driven by a love for God. And even a youth pastor who stands up and teaches on the topic of abortion, what does it mean when it really comes down to it? Who are you pleasing? Who are you living for? What drives and motivates you? And just so you know, it's not just people who struggle with abortion that that's an issue for. That is, that is many people. And so that's an issue that we need to address. And David just says, no, I'm going to shift. Instead of being man-focused, I'm going to be God-focused. I'm going to realize, God, what I've done before you is actually more significant than anything else. He says this, behold, I was brought forth, verse 5, in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David just looks at himself and says, I'm a sinful person. I was born sinful. And, you know, isn't that a comfort when we blow it, when we do the wrong thing, when we struggle in life, this is not a surprise. Why should it be hard for us to admit failure? Uh, we know biblically that we were born in sin, that, that we have a sinful flesh. So it's not a surprise when we do things wrong. And we need to respond to that the way God wants us to. Look at verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide my 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, that's the message of Christianity. And it's not just about abortion. That's about all kinds of things. When we sin, when we blow it, we confess, we ask God for restoration, we ask God for cleansing. And God does not reject a broken and a contrite heart. Self-righteous people God knows from afar, but the brokenhearted God is next to. And, and we need to be a church that is living that out in each of our own lives and a, and a church that communicates that and then embodies God's message of restoration and forgiveness. You know, when you think about the Bible, I just think about uh, Manasseh. And there's a few verses up here I'll just kind of go through quickly. And uh, Deb's helping me with the PowerPoint this morning, but she'll just kind of do this. But King Manasseh was the most wicked king in the Old Testament. He actually sacrificed. He burned his own children. And it talks about that in 2 Chronicles uh, 33, 6. And actually God rejected him and took him and, and deported him. And he ends up in prison somewhere. And one of the things that's so awesome is that while he's in prison, he was distressed and he humbled himself before God and he repented. And you want to know what is amazing? God forgives and restores. There is no sin that God can't forgive. There is no brokenness in life that God can't put back together. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and will remember your, not remember your sins. It's God's character. It's God's nature. He forgives us not because we deserve it, but because he is a forgiving God. You know, it's not just Manasseh in the Old Testament. It's uh, Saul in the New Testament who becomes the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, half the books in the New Testament. He talks about how he persecuted the church to the death, trying to kill people, trying to kill Christians. And for that reason, he says, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. And he also says, I am the worst of all sinners. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He killed God's people. And God forgave him and God used him powerfully. You know, what's, what's challenging is that the church can be a devastating place. It can be a difficult place where people are judged and where people are not loved and not encouraged, where people are insensitive. And one of the things that, that is so amazing is that a person who's committed a terrible sin, a person who's gone through abortion and has responded rightly, has confessed, has repented, has received God's forgiveness and cleansing, is such a necessary part of the church. There are people who have not been personally touched by these kinds of things, and they can be insensitive and say things that are devastating and be judgmental, but a person who's been through it knows and they're sensitive and they're thoughtful and, and, and they actually can change the culture of a church where other people are really harsh and unkind. And, and I was just recently talking to a person in my life who's going through tremendous difficulty, tremendous pain and sorrow. Her situation is pretty radical. And I know that as she goes through the things that are ahead of her, uh, the church is not going to respond in a loving, gracious, encouraging way. A prideful, judgmental people are going to be hard on somebody who's always in a devastating situation. And I, and, it, and I just realized, it's not this church, but I just realized that's common in the church. 
And that's where when we've been through difficult, challenging times and we've responded rightly, we've become an avenue and a tool of God's redemption and mercy. And to be able to come alongside somebody who's struggling, to be sensitive and to be careful and to encourage them to do what's right and to think rightly and to love them and to help them understand God's love and mercy and forgiveness. But in in the church, when we just stuff things and we ignore things and we don't deal with things rightly, the church can be a hard, difficult place. And so that's an incredible blessing that God gives. One of the things that we need to do as a church is that we need to foster an open relationship with people where sin struggles are discussed and met with biblical love and direction. Um, If you're a parent, are you really diligent in helping your kids grow up and be able to talk openly about their life? Like, I I hear so many people say things like, um, you know, when I was a youth pastor, parents would say to me, my kids care about what you think, but they don't care about what I think. Uh, You're really important in their life, but I'm not. No, actually, if you're a parent, you are the most important, the most significant person in your kid's life. And developing a relationship where you can talk openly about sin struggles and what's going on and difficulties and challenges, that's actually something that you start working on when your kids are born. And when they're two and three years old, you teach them to talk to you about things. Um, Some of my kids were super open. They talked about everything. I had other kids that would never talk to me about anything. And when they were little kids, I just realized if I don't deal with this, if I don't resolve this separation and isolation, it's going to be devastating. And so for years I prayed and worked on how do I develop a relationship with my kids where when they struggle, when they're sinning, when they're having a hard time, they talk to me. And, And what are the things that bring that about? Or do I just say, go into your room and watch TV because I want to hang out with my friends? And do we just isolate and separate? And and beyond that, the church, are we developing an atmosphere where people can talk about things and where people want to talk about things? And I would just say, if you're a person who has that issue in your history or in your past, um, you shouldn't necessarily tell everyone. The church can be a brutal place. It's not like everybody should just stand up and throw out all their deepest, darkest secrets But it is incredible, the blessing of telling people. Sometimes we hold these things in and we can't talk to anybody about it. And and to be able to go to a person and say, this is what happened, and to have a human represent to you how God feels about you and to encourage you and to look somebody in the eye and say, I did this terrible thing, and to have somebody say, but God loves you and God will forgive you. And to be an example and go, you know what, you're not the only one. You're not the only one who's been through this. Sometimes telling somebody is, is a necessity. And I would just encourage you, um, if, if you feel devastated and if you have that, you pray about and you look for somebody that you can talk to. And, and there are people who you can talk to. I remember taking a lady in our church to a pregnancy center lunch. And... Um, we're sitting there, and it was just like this whole presentation where they did these things. And, and she looks over at me during the thing, and she says, uh, yeah, I've had eight abortions. And I was totally surprised. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about the content of our discussion. She says, I had eight abortions. And uh, I just leaned over, and I said, so, like, how are you doing? Is, is it okay, like, like being here? And 
how are you responding to the things that you've heard and how's that impacted your life? And she leans over to me and she says, um, I've actually never thought about it until today. She grew up learning that, that uh, unborn babies aren't people, it's just a piece of flesh and she just aborted it. Everybody she knew had abortions. And she's sitting there and she's like, no, this has not been an emotionally devastating thing for me and I never even thought about it. And this is a person who's been in church for years, who functioned in our church and was a believer and a faithful person, a person that I loved, and yet had grown up in that situation. And sometimes that's the case. Other times people are devastated. So what's the solution to this whole abortion problem? What is the solution? What it comes down to is the solution is the genuine worship of God, salvation. You know, uh, abortion, I'll just tell you, um, the murder of millions of babies. That is a cause worth giving your time and attention to. That is a cause worth fighting for. That is a cause worth spending money on. Um, There's value in and of itself because people are made in God's image. And to stop the death and destruction of children made in God's image, that's significant. But I'll just tell you this. If we could stop all abortions and nobody came to know the Lord, it would be for nothing. It would be like giving somebody a comfortable chair on the Titanic. You know, there's value in that. Hey, you're, you're old and kind of in pain, and we don't want you to have to sit on the floor of this ship. Here's a comfortable chair. Sit in it, and in about an hour and a half, the ship will sink. You'll freeze to death in the ocean. But we at least want you to be comfortable between now and then. See, the thing is, is that we're not ultimately ever consider, uh, committed only to one issue. We are, consider, uh, we are committed to salvation, people coming to know the Lord and living that out. But we are also committed to people not being destroyed by Satan. Jesus came that people might have life and that they might have it abundantly. So, yeah, we do fight this. But we're ultimately concerned with people's eternal destiny. And, you know, part of being a Christian is that you obey what God says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll put this up on the screen. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18. One of the things that God says is flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. Here's the amazing thing about reading the whole Bible. If you read the whole Bible, you know, you can be reading in the Old Testament how they were uh, building the temple and just all those things. And, and sometimes people think, oh, man, why is this in here? Why are they telling me about the stones and this decoration and that decoration? But when you think about the fact that Israel built the whole temple and there was never a hammer um, heard in it, like, like they, they, as they were building it, they built that temple with reverence so people would figure out what size does the stone need to be. They'd go somewhere else, and they would cut that stone into its proper size, and then they would quietly and reverently carry that stone in and place it in the wall. When you think about the holiness of the temple and this, this place that God would be and all the things that you think about, and then you have the Apostle Paul say, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And then it goes on, you are not your own. (laughs) Okay, what's the message for the abortion uh, pro-choice? It's your body, your choice. No, it is not your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is God's body. 
You are to flee sexual immorality. You don't get to choose what you do. God decides what's right and what's not right. And when, when people grow up learning to worship God and they recognize this is not my body, this is God's body, and I need to glorify God with my body. Okay, wait, what was the purpose of the church and a, and a view? See, and the problem is that we sometimes think we're going to try to deal with abortion issues without teaching people that their purpose is to glorify God. You want to solve the abortion problem? Teach people to glorify God with their body. Abortion disappears. And so often we're working on the wrong things. It says in verse 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, people fail to recognize that when God says sex is for marriage, if people only had sex in marriage, the abortion problem is significantly reduced. Second thing is people don't understand the value of children. Like this is an amazing thing that, that, that I've seen in churches. Like I, we've had people that where you'll have a girl who's pregnant out of wedlock, and there's actually a discussion in the church of can we throw a baby shower for a person who's married outside of wedlock. And isn't that sending the wrong message? And, and aren't we affirming sinful behavior? Instead of saying, no, yeah, that's sinful, but a child is an incredible gift from God. And yes, that behavior was sinful, but this child isn't sinful. This is something to be celebrated, that, that somebody's going to have a baby, and yes, you went wrong, but you know what? God can redeem this, and, and if you'll repent and respond rightly to the things that you did wrong, this is going to be amazing things. And yes, you're, you're struggling, and you're having difficulty with how am I going to pay for school, or what am I going to do for a job? Hey, you sit back and see how the body of Christ is going to come alongside you, encourage you, and support you. You step, take a step back and think about God's miraculous power, and you're you're looking at this like there's no hope, but with God there is always hope. And God is going to put this situation back together. So should the church throw a baby shower for somebody who's pregnant? Absolutely. Like why is that a question? It's because we don't understand the value of children. How many times in the church would we say, oh, uh, yeah, I'm against abortion, but man, in that situation kind of would be better if the person just chose to have an abortion. See, that's the thing is that in the church we oppose abortion, but then we take a step back and think sometimes, oh, maybe it's okay. One time a friend of mine committed some serious crimes, was going go to go away to prison for a long time. And he was just looking at that situation and feeling like this is a disaster and I can't face it. So he took his own life. And in taking his own life, it, had he gone to prison, his wife would have lost her retirement. Like he would have lost his pension, his retirement. And when you think about all the devastating negative things that, ha that would have happened had he not killed himself. And taking his life resulted in all these logistical things that were better for his family. And um, how often... Have I heard people look at situations like that and say, that's oh, a good thing you did that. It's going in the long run, it's better. Instead of saying, no, it is never the right thing to take your life. And however you calculate this out and think it was better, it is not better. And yet in our own hearts, do we ever look at situations? There, there are parents, I'm just telling you right now, they find out their kids are pregnant and deep down inside, they wish their kid had an abortion without telling them. 
And that's the reality of how many people live their Christian life. And in the church, we need to be on a different plane where we value um, life. Okay, so I'm going to just say, say a few things uh, very quickly that I, I hope are, are very easy. Now look at slide 14. Um, abortion is a sin of murder. Yes, it comes from sexual immorality, but it's a, it's a sin of murder. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man, his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. Killing a baby is attacking the God of the universe. It is ending the life of someone made in God's image. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we all agree, right? Like we all agree with that. You know, scientifically, um, it's not a challenging thing either. Um, when, when you have a, uh, an egg and a sperm that join together, that's when life starts is at conception. You have unique genes. L like the DNA of a mom is not the same as the DNA of a baby. Uh, there's a unique gender. You can have a, a mom with a son. That is not the same. That is not your body. It's not your DNA. It's not your gender. It's not your blood type. And it develops separately. So from a scientific perspective, this is not brain surgery that life starts at conception. Con, um, conception. If you look at the Bible in Exodus chapter 21, um, there's this little section of Old Testament law where um, it says when two men are striving together or fighting and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out. So if you hit a woman and she gives birth prematurely, um, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So if you cause a miscarriage, there's penalties for doing that. But then it goes on in verse 23. But if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Life for life. You hit a pregnant woman and her baby dies, you are executed. Why? It's because you're killing a baby made in God's image. So biblically speaking, this is not confusing. Uh, Judges 13, um, Samson's parents are told that uh, they're going to have a baby and that he's going to be a Nazarite. Nazarites are not allowed to drink wine, and there's things they're not allowed to do. And so you know what he tells the mom? You're going to have a baby. You can't drink wine anymore. Why? Because your baby is a Nazarite. And when you drink wine, that impacts your baby. They're not separate individuals, or they're not the same individual. Those are separate individuals. As soon as she gets pregnant, she can't drink. As soon as the baby's born, she can drink. Like, this is not a biblically confusing topic. And, and what drives it? What drives this is idolatry. It's just saying, um, I want to be happy and I want things in my life and if I have to kill to get what I want, I will kill. What about my education? Uh, you know, if you just take that argument, it is so irrational and so ridiculous because an unborn baby is thinking about what will the impact of a baby be? But who would take a little two-year-old out of the nursery and just say, yeah, I'm not going to be able to go to college. Let's kill this two-year-old. Or um, what if I have a hard time living? Let's kill this baby, so let's kill this little kid so that my life is better. That's what abortion is. It, it's a person saying that my happiness 
and, and me kind of having the things that I think I want in my life is worth ending my own kid's life. Man, that is significant. And that's something that we need to address, not just on the topic of abortion, but how about idolatry? How about the people who say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend because I kind of like that. Or, yeah, there's all these things that God says I shouldn't do, but actually if I do those things, my life will be better. I'll be happier. It's not fair that somebody is telling me I can't do these stuff, so I'm going to just sin because it makes my life better. I just want to ask you, how many Christians do you know, people who call themselves Christians, who disregard what God says because they feel like it will make their life better? Yeah, I'm going to obey these five things because those work. But this one, oh, man, that's a really hard one. I'm not going to do that. That's the way people live their life. And so, actually, you address the issue of abortion by just teaching people to be Christians and to think biblically and to respond to sin in their life in a different way and that the church is a gracious, loving, redemptive community where we're not hard on each other. We don't beat up on each other. And you think about the judgmental, prideful things that we say about other people. And then think about the fact that your kids are growing up in your house. They're listening to how you talk about other people. When, when you give somebody a hard time over something stupid, you're sending a message to them that we're hard on people here. And often um, we need to think about what is our heart, what is our attitude toward people, because you, you deal with your kid's ability to tell you that they're pregnant and considering abortion. You deal with that when your kid tells a lie somewhere and how you respond to it. When your kid is struggling with some other smaller issue of sin, how do you help them be restored and know what's right and how do you treat them? Or do you say things like, if you ever do this, this, or this, I will never talk to you again. If you ever did this, I would reject you. See, people do that because they think that protects their kids from sin. You choose this sin and you're out of my family and because they, they think it will stop their kids from choosing that sin. Um, so think about what we need to be doing in our family and in the church. And let me just end with this. Um, abortion is something that every believer must fight. Um, James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Man, God's put us here to rescue the weak, to help people. And so as we think about this, I'll just tell you, if there was a little kid um, in our nursery, and we just said, if you, it's going to take 200 bucks to, to save this kid's life. It's going to take $1,000 to save this kid's life. If you give away your car, this kid can live. Um, I just want to know, like, how, how much... Would a kid in our nursery's life be worth to you financially, personally? What sacrifice would you make for that? Because that's the abortion fight. If you're a Christian, you need to financially support this issue. It is significant. If, if you're a Christian, you need to be supporting and encouraging the people on the front lines. The pregnancy center, man, they feel devastated. Sometimes things are challenging. They're so discouraged when somebody comes in and sits with them and is considering abortion and they talk to them and they encourage them and they pray for them. And then those people walk out the door and choose to have an abortion. And they're still there. They're still there to love them, to encourage them, to help them, help them put their life back together when it's over. But that's, that's emotionally devastating. Do we encourage and do we support wholeheartedly 
the, the people, the, the Pregnancy Resource Center, people who are on the front lines of this battle. We need to be the ones who do that. We need to be aware of opportunities to minister in our church and outside of our church. And we need to give our time. You know, sometimes we can volunteer and we can help. And maybe we decide, you know what, I'm going to get on the front lines. You know, in our house, both of our kids volunteered for a pregnancy center. Um, Jessica, after she volunteered, actually worked there for a few years as a counselor in a pregnancy center. And I remember one t- day somebody in, in my last church said, yeah, you just support the pregnancy center because your kids work there. And I just said, no, my kids work there because they grew up in my home and because they understand the value and the importance of life. And it's not that everybody has to work in a pregnancy center, but that's a worthy calling for some. And we got Camille. That's one of the things that she does, and we're, I'm super thankful for that. That's amazing. And so we need to do that. Um, there's a, a uh, trailer outside where you can go and get some information. I encourage you to go through that. Uh, there's baby bottles that you can pick up. And one of the things that they're encouraging is that we fill these with change. So fill it with change or fill it with dollar bills or write a check and stick it in there. And we're going to give you a month to do that. And then we'll collect them. And you can just drop them off in the church office. I'll just say it is like the, I hope that the bottles that come out um, from our church are filled and are generous. Um, because you know what? Life is worth it. Supporting and encouraging and helping people that are in this fight is worth doing that. So you can fill those bottles. You can collect them out there. You can fill them. You can turn it into our church office, and we'll get them to where they need to go. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And, Lord, as we consider this issue, it really touches on so many things that are so personal. And, God, it's not just the abortion issue. It's every issue we face. Lord, we need redemption, we need forgiveness, we need love, we need a commitment to honor and obey you. And Lord, sometimes we even think about our own thinking, and we see that, that while in a sense we think we're committed, and then things come out that help us realize that we need to adjust our perspective. God, help us to be people that are wholeheartedly committed to obeying you. That Lord, when we're facing something that seems like a no-win situation, that we choose honoring and obeying you, and, Lord, that we choose trusting you to work out the details. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your encouragement. We ask that you would bless our church family and our community, and, God, I pray that you would bless the Pregnancy Resource Center, that they would have lots of encouragement, plenty of resources, plenty of personnel to be involved and help and encourage in what's happening. God, we ask all these things in your name.